Our scripture today comes from the book of Ephesians, the uh, first chapter. Uh, I'm going to begin at verse 15, and I'm going to carry about halfway through 19. I know that doesn't seem to make sense, but uh, halfway through 19, a sentence ends, and a new one begins, and it just, anyway. Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 15. And this is, uh, this is Paul um, being thankful for the people that he's written this letter to. And, and so uh, imagine Paul being thankful for you reading this letter as well. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So if you are following along in this, um, you have a question from last week. The answer is Mibi and Pawpaw. If you know, you know. Now, for those of you that are wondering, what did he mean by that? Read the book. As I said, we're in a series on the Lord's Prayer and using that as a guide for understanding um, how we are to pray and what we're to pray for and about and what that might look like as Jesus gives us this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that we will pray by the end of the service. Um, and there are, there are movements within the Lord's Prayer that uh, we want to look at, and uh, we started last week with praise as we, uh, we talk about um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's, a, it's an offering of praise, um, but also we talked throughout the week as you read that, um, we talked about naming God and how we name, whose name we call out to when we pray. Not that we pray to different gods. But, but it's possible to call God by different names, you know, God of, of the, the mountains and God the Father. And it's, it's a praise when we praise God for that particular part of his being. And so that's praise. And, and this week we're going to talk about submission as we submit our will to God's will. Thy will be done. We'll look at that part of the prayer. Moving forward then, it's petition and confession and protection and magnification. So last week was praise, as we discern to whom we're praying, and this week is submission. Now, I want to caution you as you pray this prayer, and you think through, what does it mean to pray, thy will be done? You don't want to pray that, really. I mean, it's a serious prayer. To pray for God's will to be done on earth as in heaven. I think sometimes we, we, we pray that with a, a certain detachment. We pray that and, and, and think, yeah, God, I want your will to be done. That's, that would be good. And I, I look forward to the day when your will is done on earth. And, and I recognize there's a couple of people that you're going to have to smite along the way. And I've got a list if you're curious where to start. That's not where we're going with this prayer. This prayer about God's will is, is placing yourself, submitting yourself totally to what God wants 
not to what you want, not to your hopes and desires, but God's will for your life. Believe me, I absolutely believe and trust that if you will live God's will in your life, your life is better, your life is, is more fulfilling, your life has more meaning than otherwise. But you may be called to things that surprise you, to left turns in life that you weren't looking for. To pray God's will is to put God at the center. This isn't some hyper-personalized, God, show me your will so I can be important and significant. Dear God, I want people to look at my faith and say, wow, look at St. David. It's not about you. It doesn't put you at the center. There's, there's another prayer that we pray uh, from time to time, usually right around New Year's, at the end of the year or at the beginning of the new year. Um, and it's, it's, called the Wesleyan, it's called a covenant prayer in the Wesleyan tradition. And um, it's a prayer about submitting yourself to the will of God. It it's, may or may not have been written by John Wesley. There's some argument over that. But the point is that this prayer is about submission. And as you pray that prayer, there's a line in it that always troubles me. And I've, I've shared this in the sermon before. It always troubles me to pray, let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. I'm not a lay aside type of guy. I want to get in and get involved and, and, and get messy and whatever's going on. I, I, I do not want to ride the bench for God. But that's that prayer. It's saying, God, I am so totally in that whatever you call me to, I will do, even if it means sit down and shut up. By the way, that's not God's will at this moment, Just, at least in my discernment. There's another line in that, and um, another phrase that I won't quote it exactly, but it's basically saying, God, rank me with the most significant people in the world or with the most insignificant Anybody want to be insignificant? It just doesn't come up in your prayer, does it? And that's what we're praying when we say, God, your will. Because what we're saying is, God, I want you to be at the center of everything. I don't want to be. I want you to use me in whatever way is necessary. But your will is center in my life, not my own will. And so that, that scripture that we read talks about a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know the hope to which he has called you. And more often than not, we jump ahead to, to specifics of what we want. And we find ourselves frustrated when, when we pray that prayer, thy will be done. I love that song. It's so, it's so perfect the way it opens it that, that the, the singer is saying, you know, here in the mess of my life, I think, this can't be your will, God. But if it is, your will be done. Not my will, but your will. So how do we get to... God's specific will. Because I think we can. I think you can know the specific will of God for your individual life. But you don't start there. And if you try to start there, you find yourself frustrated. 
I mean, if you try to start with, I surrender my life to you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior now, what should I have for lunch? You might not get an answer until sometime after supper. It might not come to you that quick. And so we want to talk about God's will, God's specific will, but we got to get there, and it takes time. It takes time. So here's God's will. Here's how we get there. And we're going to talk about God's general will first. And then we're going to talk about God's individual will and then God's specific will. But we're going to start with God's general will. And God's general will is found in, in four different places, probably more than that in the Bible. But I'm going to talk specifically the great commandment, the great compassion, the great commission, and the fruits of the Spirit. So as we begin, and, and this won't be anything new to you if you've been here at all, um, or if you've been in church at all, you've heard these before, uh, the great commandment, right? If Jesus is asked by somebody, what's the greatest of the commandments? The right answer back in that day was, there's no one greater than the other, they're all equal. However, Jesus doesn't answer it that way. Instead, he says this, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So God's general will is that we love him and love his people. Now, when I say his people, we're not talking about just the ones in the room, just those who are watching online. But everybody, everybody, we live in a global economy, we live in a politically global world, and that's kind of redundant, but you got what I meant. And, and, we, uh, and we can know at this moment what is happening almost anywhere in the world, just immediately. And we are called to love people we will never meet, ever. There are people in Libya who are suffering the loss of loved ones and suffering the loss of everything through floods, and we are called to love them. Love everyone. Love God and, and love his people. That's the first commandment. That's the great commandment. The second that I want to read is uh, called the great compassion And this is in, just as Jesus in response to uh, a, a question about how, how, do we, how do we live our lives specifically? How do we specifically love people? And, then, and, he, and he says this, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did to, for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. So the general will of God, as made known in the great compassion, is that we love people by treating them with mercy and compassion. The next is, is called the great commission, and it's in Matthew 28. And again, Jesus' words, this is, these are Jesus' final words before he ascends into heaven. And he says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God's general will, as made known through the Great Commission, is that you will love people by sharing Christ with them. And then finally, one that uh, I, I turn to but don't even need to. Um, this is part I have memorized. And I, I, I've shared these words with you often from Galatians 5. Um, there, is, there is a way to love people, an attitude about loving people. Um, and it's, it's called the fruits of the Spirit. And um, it, it, it's called fruit because we need to understand it as we are the tree giving the fruit for the benefit of others. Not that we are benefiting from the tree, right? So the fruits of the Spirit, what we offer to others is love, joy, peace peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control from Galatians 5, uh, verse 25 and 20, or 22 and 23. Um, and so therefore, God's general will is that you love people in a likable manner. In a likable manner. So to summarize, the general will of God is that you love him and love other people. The general will of God is that you love other people by treating them with mercy and compassion. The general will of God is you love other people by sharing Christ with them. And the general will of God is that you do this in a likable manner. You're not doing the will of God if you're suffering and making it known while you do it. Somebody once said, uh, um, Jesus hung on the cross so you don't have to. So climb down off your cross and love people in a likable manner. So how do we move then from that general will to a more individual will? I'm not to the specifics yet. We're going to get there, but the specifics. So we begin knowing the will of God through these general statements from Scripture. So God's individual will then, also known as your purpose in life is where we go next. And where we go next is that God has equipped each of us with skills necessary to, to serve the church or to serve God's mission in the world, to make Christ known in the world. And we call this equipping, we call it spiritual gifts. And that's just a churchy way of saying God created you in the way God created you to be able to advance the cause of Christ, to make his will known on earth in the way that you were made. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 gives us some of that list. And, and it says this, um, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, works of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discernment of spirits. To another, uh, various kinds of tongues or interpretation of tongues. That's just a list of the way that you could be equipped to be in ministry for God. But there's other lists. There's a, in, in Ephesians 4 and Romans 12, um, 1 Peter, there's a list. And, and, and then if you go to the Old Testament, it, it relates other ways that people who are artisans and people who are craftsmen and people who are musicians are gifted by God for the purpose 
of advancing what God is doing in the world. And so God's, God's individual will for you is that you would turn over to God your gifts, your talents, your abilities for God to use in his work. Now, I, I think that in doing so, we, we begin to find our purpose in life, not a plan, a purpose. God's individual will aligns us with what God is doing in the world, and so it's therefore a purpose. And the difference between purpose and plan, I often illustrate as an acorn. I have an oak tree in my backyard. Okay, the church has an oak tree in their backyard because I live in a parsonage. But there's an oak tree in the backyard. And, and one day this week, I, I went out and sat on the back porch and appreciated the shade from that oak tree. Even though it was a pleasant day, um, still the direct sunlight was a, a little bit much. And so I appreciated the shade from that oak tree. I do not believe that 200 years ago, when that, it's a big tree, when that tree started to grow, God said to that acorn, fall from that tree, be planted right there so that you can grow and that the, the plan for your life is to provide shade for Dave when they build the subdivision. That would be a plan, very specific. And if you, and if you think that's the case, then what you're saying is that, that God has already drawn up your life and you're just going through the motions. And we don't believe that here. We believe that you get to partner with God in what you're doing because you get to say yes or no to your participation. So it's more about purpose than plan. More about purpose than plan. God's purpose for your life is that you would use the way God created you to advance his kingdom. Amen. Thank you. And then we get to God's specific will. God's specific will. And this answers the question, what should I do and when? And you can insert in that. What should I do about that meeting this week? And when should I act out the way that I feel you calling me to act out? What should I do and when? That's when we're starting to trample on that sort of plan for our life. And it brings us to that passage for today. We all want God to give us wisdom and revelation that leads to an enlightened heart. We all want that. And I read that to mean that, that when we finally figure out what God wants for our lives, we have a sense of peace in our hearts and confidence in our minds. I truly believe that if you are living God's will in your life, you feel far better about your life than if you're living your will for your life. But this specific will of God gets into those deeper questions like, to whom should I be married, and, and, and should I take that job, or, or how should I spend my money? They're the what should I do and when questions. Now, those are big questions in life, and, and, and those big questions need godly answers. However, I think often we, we, we think of this, and, and, and it may be that we're getting into the mundane sometimes in, in what we're doing. And I mean, if, if you're asking God, should I have fries with that? You, you, 
I, I, I think if God were to answer, God would say, fries, onion, pick the onion rings, at least you're having a vegetable. I mean, on the, the scale of zero to heart attack, choose the vegetable every time. I'm not sure God wants to be in an advisory capacity on that level of your life. I'm not sure God wants to be in an advisory capacity at all. That when we pray this prayer about specific things in our life, we're saying, God, I want you to be at the center of how I live this specific thing out. Now tell me what would be right and how do I act? How do I get to your will through the specifics of my life? And we can know that. We can discern that. But there are steps toward knowing God's will for your life. And those steps begin with what I call the means of grace, what John Wesley called the means of grace, the, the ways, means uh, in that sentence refers to uh, the ways in which God's grace is delivered to you. God's love, God's knowledge, God's understanding is delivered to you. So it's prayer, it's Bible study, it's regular worship, it's being in a group that studies scripture together. Those were called means of grace, the ways of grace. So we involve ourselves in that to begin with, and then we begin to discern God's general will for our life and how we live that out. It has to start there, not with the specifics. It has to start there with God's general will. Centering your life on the great commandment to love God and love everyone. To be guided by the primary motivation to share Christ with others. To serve them in a way that brings comfort and aid. And, and to do these things in a spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I was talking to somebody after the, the last service in, in the lobby, and, and she talked about being very assertive, and sometimes her assertiveness didn't come out as friendly. And I said, you know, it is possible to be very assertive and share love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I think I missed a few in there that time, but, but you get the point. The, it's okay to assert yourself, but doing it in a, in a spirit of grace and then, so after we begin to understand and begin to see God's will being at the center of our lives and see it as, as loving God and loving our neighbors, as, as, as being motivated to share Christ, as being motivated to provide for the comfort and care of others and doing it in a likable manner, then we get to God's individual will and we begin serving God in the way God equipped us. <clears throat> according to our purposes. Being mindful that, that if you are serving God in some way that, that, that makes you an irritable person, then you're not, refer back to that love, joy, peace thing. Make sure your work is appreciated. And if you're doing a job that you're not passionate about, you don't care so much about, then, then what you're doing is, is not a part of God's will. Because God wants to use you in a way that you can get excited about and get passionate about. And then as you move through that, recognizing there is no shortcut to this, right? 
There is no shortcut to recognizing God's will. It's working through those things, and then you can begin to ask those specific questions. I know we are a microwave society that wants to go straight to the specifics, but if you're not trying to live out the general will and the individual will, the specifics won't come to you. It becomes harder. But, but here's what happens when you get to the specific will time. When, when, you, when you get to that place where you think you should pray, God, what should I do at this time? If you're doing the others, if you've done the work ahead of time, you already know the answer. And God's specific will is already being lived out. Oh, there's probably some tough questions in that specific time. That's when you pray more and read Scripture more and relate to others more that can help you figure out where you're called to go. But along that way, you start to recognize it never was about your answers, about what you need and what you want. It's always been about God, placing God at the center of your life. And as you place God more and more at the center the things that surround you become less important because the things of God become of greatest importance. So time and again, I have people come to my office and, and, uh, and ask some questions about some specifics in their life. And my, my first question is always going to be, have you prayed about it? Ah, oh, geez, pastor, is that always the default? Well, yeah, but it's not the answer. It's the beginning of it. It's the beginning of it. How are you living your life in a way that puts God at the center? Because the answer to your specific question is somewhere in the center where God is. Not over on the side where you are. I, I found that if you, if, you, if, you, if you focus on those things, the general will and the individual will, that the specific will of God just happens. I want to pray that prayer with you. I told you I would. I want to pray that prayer with you, the Lord's Prayer. You know, in, in, the, in the traditional liturgy of the church, um, uh, one of the things that we say about that prayer before we pray is we say, um, as, with the confidence of children of God, let us pray this prayer. I like that, that opening line, with the confidence of children of God. Have confidence that God wants to relate to you through this prayer or through the movements of this prayer. So let's pray the Lord's Prayer. We're going to put it up on the screen in case you're unfamiliar with it. Or if you're not from a Methodist tradition, we trespass. We don't sin or have debts. We just trespass. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen.